Today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about Purim. The Gemara in Megillah, on Daf Yud in the midst of the Lashon Hara, the Lishna Bisha, as the Gemara calls it, that Haman um, was uttering to Achashverosh to convince him to destroy the Jewish people, one of the tainas that he said to Achashverosh was, the Dasei HaMelech Einam Eisim. They don't do the Dasei HaMelech. They don't do the laws of the king. They're not compliant people. And the Gemara explains in Megillah what that means. What did Haman really mean to say when he said that? Demaske Lakulashata Bishai Pai. The Gemara uses the Rashi Tevas Shin Heyud and then Pei Heyud, which uh, stands for Shabbos Hayim, Pesach Hayim. Every day they're always giving another excuse how they can't work today. This is a day I have to leave early. Shabbos is coming in very early this week, and I have to leave early on you know, Friday afternoon, 1 o'clock. I have to be out of the office. I hope you understand. Um, Pesach is now coming, and uh, I have to take off uh, two days at the beginning, two days at the end, and then Chalamay uh, sometimes in the middle. And the boss, obviously, the, the Gaisha boss, can't be happy about this, especially... If you're an accountant, let's say, and it's tax season, and uh, you can't work for uh, everyone else is working, you know, throughout the night, seven days a week, and the Jews they take off. It's a big yuntif. They're not. Uh, they're they're not interested. They, can, they can't work. Haman says These Jewish people, they're really just. They're they're not compliant. They're not keeping our laws. They're not doing what we expect them to do. They're expected to work normal hours. You speak to any boss, and he'll tell you that they're always saying Shai Pai, Shabbos Hayim, Pesach Hayim, and we can't do uh, the work where it's forbidden for us to work on these days. And the boss is just supposed to accept that. And this is another reason that Haman had to destroy the Jewish people. Just want to give a few ha'aris on this Gemara and then we'll uh, get to some Musr from it. There was a, a great Rosh Hashiva who was Nifter just a few months ago, maybe uh, three, four months ago. Uh, his name is Rebelia Ramanek. Uh, Rebelia Ramanek was, uh, he lived in, the, in, in Farakaway um, and he was, uh, for many years, before that he was a Robin Laurelton, he was a Rebbe in Chaim Berlin, a big guy in I think of Aaron Cutler, who taught him, said that he was one of the first ga'inim that he met in America, meaning one of the first talmidim that he had that were really, you know, of, of European caliber. So he was a, uh, he lived in Farakaway. He, he had a, a yeshiva, a very unusual yeshiva. It was called Oyave Taira, and um, it was a yeshiva for retired people. Um, so there are many adults, let's say, in the Five Towns area who they retired and now they want to do some learning. And here was Rabbi Ramanik and giving shiurim to them on a daily basis. Some people came just for his Sunday shiur. And then before Yom Taim, he gave a big kinnis. Uh, my father, Al was exceptionally close to the Rabbi Ramanik. They learned privately for many years together. And Rabbi Ramanik told me once this vart that he had on, on this Gemara. Well, there's actually another Gemara in Megillah that says something very interesting. If you notice at the end of the Megillah, it describes the uh, the way that they sell, that they set up the Yantif. So one pasuk says, "Lasais Isa, you may that they wanted to set it up as a day that was full of joy, celebration, mishta, simcha, and yantif. It's supposed to be a, a yantif. It was supposed to be a regular yantif, just like you have Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. This would be a regular yantif on the calendar. And, but then later in the Megillah, if you took him later, it says, Lasseis, I say, you may mishta the simcha. yantif like sivi. It doesn't say anymore about a yantif. So what happened to the yantif? So the Gemara says in Megillah that Yantif like Kabilu Alaihu. They didn't accept upon themselves a Yantif. 
meaning they accepted Purim as Yimei Mishnah Simcha. It's a happy day. It's a day that we make Mishnah. We have Siddhas Yantif. But we do not do, um, we don't do, uh, we don't have an Isim Malacha. Isim Malacha is not Nayim. So, Rabbi Ramadik wanted to say that, you know what the Pshat is, why they didn't accept upon themselves an Isim Malacha? The reason why there was no Isim Malacha was because the Jews were very upset. Because the whole reason why they had this Zera against them was because of this specific taina of Shabbos Hayyim Pesach Hayyim. So the Jews said, the last thing that we need is another holiday on the calendar to tell our bosses that we can't work. And so that's what, that's the shot that he said, why, why Yantav Le Kabil Alayim. And it doesn't mean, well, let's have a nice Yantav, let it. Can you imagine for him a beautiful Yantav without, uh, without having to do Malacha? <coughs> I wouldn't have to drive my kids from one part of town to the other the whole day, you know, delivering Shalach Manis. I like doing it once, but like, I'm on one side of Kew Garden Hills, and then my kids, oh yeah, I have another friend, you know, on the other side, I go back, and then they remember they have another. So the whole day I'm basically going, it would be nice to just be able to not have to have a, to, to not have to drive your car on Yantif. But they did not want to accept that because we can't pile on another Isra Malacha, because that's what got us into this mess in the first place. That's one shot on uh, nice shot on Shabbos Hayim, Pesach Hayim. I had an interesting ha'ara, I think, on, on the Gemara as well. <coughs> there is a Medrash in Kehelas Rabbah. The Medrash says, Shemer Mitzvah Lo Yeda Dabara. It's in Kehelas Rabbah Ches Aleph. Somebody that keeps a mitzvah will never do bad. What does that mean? So the Medrash Darshan's Zu Esther. This is a reference to Esther. Shehaisa Suka the mitzvah's Bir Chametz. She was very busy with the mitzvah Bir Chametz. What does that mean? That she was, uh, she was involved with the Isra Bir Chametz uh, during this critical time period of when they were, uh, you know, when the Gezer was, uh, was instituted, when they were making the three-day uh, tainus to stop the Gezerah, to do tshuva, that all took place. That Pesach, that time period, Esther was busy with, meaning when the news came to her that, you know, the trouble that Kal Yisrael was in, what was she busy with? Shemer Mitzvah she was busy with her Bir Chamit. She was destroying her Chamit. The question that I had is, that this whole story, if you see the Gemaras, this whole story took place on what day of Nisan? When did she find out? Yud Gimel Nisan. How do I know that? Because the Gemara says that the third day of the Tainus, they were, was the first day of Pesach. Vayavar Mardachai, that he was Mavir Yom Echad Shal Pesach Petainus. That means that Yud Gimel, Tainis, Yud Gimel Nisan was the day that she was what? that she heard about this Zera. So, and says the measure seems to imply that she was doing Bir Chametz on that day. Now, we don't do Bir Chametz on Yud Gimel Nisan. We do Bir Chametz on Yud Dalad Nisan. Yud Dalad Nisan is Arab Pesach. That's when we go and burn our Chametz. There's one exception. When do we do Bir Chametz on Yud Gimel? Arab Pesach, Shechali Yitz On those years that Arab Pesach falls on Shabbos, then we can't burn our chametz on Shabbos, so we burn it the day before, which happens to be Yud Gimel, which happens to be Yud Gimel Nisan. So I was thinking that it could be that if that's true, if my assumption is true, I don't know, maybe you can find a, a calendar, you know, that would go back that far and actually see if that's true, that the year of the year of Purim was Arab Pesach Chalias for Shabbos. I don't know if that if there is such a thing exists, but if my assumption is correct, and I think it is then that year there was Shabbos Shabbos was Arab Pesach followed by what? by Pesach so you have Shabbos and then Pesach back to back so it could be that that was why Haman specifically said Shai Shabbos Hayyim Pesach Hayyim why Pesach? why not Shavuot Sukkot? we take off a lot of Yom time throughout the year but it could be that he pulled out his Ezra's Tire Luach and he showed Achashverosh that look at what these Jews are doing to us. Look, just this very year, 
Look what's up. We're, they're, they're right before Pesach, right? This whole Gezerah went down right before Pesach. Look what's going on in the calendar. They have Shabbos. They're taking off from work Shabbos. That's Arab, right? That's Arab Pesach. And then they're going to tie in, and then Pesach right away kicks in. So you have Shabbos, and then Pesach two days, and then another two days, and then Chalamay, they're going to start mutchering. In the last days of Pesach, they're going to say they can't come to work. He says, so that's what it means, Shabbos Hayyem, Pesach Hayyem, because the calendar that year was exactly that. It was Shabbos Hayyem, Pesach Hayyem. And that was a, a very big Makkabipatish in Achashirish's mind. Taka, like these Jews, they're not working. And they're not productive, and that's a good reason to do away with them. I wanted to discuss a little bit why it would be that the Gezerah took place in such a way. Meaning, it seems that that was really the, 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 the driving reason for the Gezerah was this one taina. Maybe there were some other tainas that the Gemara speaks about in the Midrashim. But this is definitely a major, critical part of the Gezerah against Pa Yisrael. That we said Shabbos Hayyim, that, that, that we tainat our boss, Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach Hayyim, and we can't do work. Why should that be a reason in Shamayim for the Gezerah being unleashed against us? That's a great thing. Isn't that a mile that Pa Yisrael has, that we were able to be Meister Nefesh and to actually tell our bosses, Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach it's not easy. You get a brand new job in, uh, you know, let's say you get a brand new job in September. Imagine now you've got to go to your boss and you have to tell your boss, oh, by the way, I have, uh, I have to take off Rosh Hashanah two days, Shabbosim, Yom Kippur, um, Sukkot. Like, it's like, what, what did I hire you for? Like, what are you, what are, what are you good for? But yet Jews do this. Jews do this constantly. I think that's a very big mile. So why would that be in Shemayim, what, what was the signal, what was the message to us from the fact that that's the way the Gezerah was enacted? The Gezerah was enacted of of just because we are keeping Shabbos, we're keeping Pesach, we're, we're telling our bosses that we can't come to work, that's the reason for our destruction. There's obviously a message to call Yisrael in the fact that it came about in this way. And I want to try to figure out together with you what that, what that could be. I think everybody knows from Meisha Feinstein's perhaps his most famous vart. He, it's definitely the vart that's most quoted from him. And if you look in his Svarim on Chumash, and there are many of them, the Darish Meisha, two volumes, and, uh, and the Kalram, and other... They all quote Ramesha as saying this one vart. And I've said it a hundred times here also. He says, why is it that Klal Yisrael has so much assimilation in America? You look at the college campuses throughout the country, and there could be thousands and thousands of Jewish students, and you wouldn't even know it. I'm not talking about in the tri-state area, I'm not talking about, you know, the colleges with like a strong, uh, a very strong, uh, you know, Jewish from presence. But I'm talking about, you know, you go to certain colleges, even in upstate New York. I once had a, a friend that went to Cornell in upstate New York. He said he's the only person, he said, I don't know, thousands of Jews. He's the only person in the whole college that wore a yarmulke, that's Shemesh Abbas. This is going back a long time, maybe things changed. But, and there are colleges like this in all, all over the country. Forget about colleges. There are communities, there are people, there are Jews from sea to shining sea that have no knowledge of what Shabbos is, or what Tyre is, or what Halacha is, or what Chumash is, or what, what Aleph is. How did this happen? How did this happen? Where, what, what was the cause that so many Jews are non-affiliated? That, they weren't, these are, they're not, Native Americans, they weren't uh, here from time memorial, just not... Their, their, their grandparents, obviously, and their great-grandparents, whoever it was, came from Europe, came from Poland, they were from a Yidden. So how did this happen that just something, you know, there was just a, a break in the Messiah and, and they're not from? What happened? So Ramesha was very emphatic, and obviously there are exceptions, this doesn't mean that every case is like this, but this was Ramesha Feinstein saying that this is what his assessment of the, of the dar, of the reason for this phenomenon is, 
He says the first generation of Jews that came to these shores were from. They were, you, know, you see pictures, you know, you see in the Lower East Side in Williamsburg, they were from people with beards and payas and the whole nine yards. And they were Meister Nefesh for Shabbos. They really were. But they weren't necessarily happy to do it. They didn't do it with a geschmack. They did it, but they did it very begrudgingly. Not that they were begrudging Shabbos, but they were not keen on how pleasant being a Yid was. So the message that was sent to their children was, and this is Ramesha's famous line, as a schwer zu sein a Yid. It's very difficult to be Jewish. It's a hard thing to be a Jew. It's hard to be a Jew. And so they basically kept Shabbos, kept Yantif, with great mysterious nefesh. Very often we know that they would get a job on Monday morning, work for five days, get paid. Fr- Friday afternoon they would go to their boss and say, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but I'm Sabbath observant, I have to go home for Shabbos. I can't work any more late. And I can't work tonight, I can't work Saturday. And the boss said, that's very nice, but I have to fire you. Because we don't want Sabbath. Today that can't happen, Baruch Hashem, because there are you know, religious... Uh, protections of, uh, of, our, of our liberties, of our freedom, we're not allowed to get they can't fire us for that reason and if they do, they're in big legal trouble that was the development of the last 20-30 years, but before that you know, if a boss wasn't happy if you said Shabbos and Pesach you're out so the, they came home and they were Meisir but the kids got the impression that they weren't happy being Jewish they weren't happy being Meisir Nefesh and because they weren't happy being Meisir Nefesh, the, Jew, the, the, the children said to themselves, and style, this is Lord Meisir's thesis, the Jews said to themselves, listen, our parents, they grew up in Russia, they're old timers, they have like tradition, you know, fiddler on the roof, they have to keep up their Messiah because that's how their parents did it. But look how difficult it is for them. Look how they're not doing it with a Kishmach. Like, what do I need this for? I'm American. I was born in America now, or I'm growing up in America, the land of Coca-Cola and drive-in movies and uh, have a geschmacka life. What do I need this for? I need to have to, you know, be meisner nefesh for Shabbos. I need to be meisner nefesh for halacha. I need to be meisner nefesh for, for, for yam taivim. It's not geschmack. My parents themselves aren't enjoying it. They're doing it because they have some, you know, some, some uh, you know, they, there's a a responsibility that they feel it's a yoke on them to do it. We don't have that. I don't want to live a, a, a difficult life. I want to have a geschmacka life. And so they peeled away from Yiddishkeit and Ramesha basically castigates that dar because even though they were Ramesha Nefesh for Shabbos and Yantip because they were conveying the message that it's Shver Tzai that it's difficult to be a Jew that killed the next generation. That's what single-handedly drove them away and drove them into the arms of assimilation and drove them into the arms of Chil Shabbos because they just didn't want that lifestyle. It wasn't, it wasn't appealing to them. It wasn't tantalizing them. It's not, if, some, if a kid sees that their parents are not happy with what they're doing and they're doing it because they have to with a gun to their head, they're not interested in it. They're not interested in it. And Rashi says they should have conveyed the message that I'm doing it and it's geschmack to be a yid. I'll give you two stories that convey exactly exceptional cases that actually did do this. There's a story that I read maybe a year or two ago, an amazing story, that there was a one of these immigrants he was Nifter, and by the Shiva, all of his sons were sitting, and somebody came into Menachem Lavel, and they saw that each son was like a huge Adam Gadol in his own right. Big Tamidich Chachamim, big Marbitzei Taira, Bali Musar, you know, Shasid, and I don't know, like very Chashav and Mishpacha. And so 
one person that was Menachem Avol asked one of the sons, how did your father do this? How did your father, an immigrant from Russia, you know, with, with little money, in it, if any, in his pocket, came over, was able to have such a beautiful mishpach, such a terrific mishpach. He was, father himself was not a big time mishpach, he was busy, you know, working and really schwitzing and, and doing whatever he could to make ends meet, which was very difficult back then. How did he do it? How did he raise you with such your shemaim, with such Musagim of Tyra of Kedusha, how, how did he do it? So listen to what the, one of the sons said by the Shiva. He said that our father was one of those famous people that he would start his job on Monday until Friday. Friday, he would tell his boss, I have to leave early because it's Shabbos and I'm a Shabbos observer. And the boss said, Very nice, don't bother coming back Monday. And he would give him what's called a pink slip because it was actually, today it's also called the expression, you know, I got the pink slip means I got fired. Where did that expression come from? I don't think there are pink slips anymore. But in the olden days when you got fired, you got a pink slip. And that showed that, that like terminated any contract that you had and things are over. That's what a pink slip was. It says every week my father got another pink slip and another pink slip and he came home from from you know, from work, and he prepared for Shabbos, even though he had absolutely no money in the bank, he got paid for that week, he had to start trying desperately to find a job uh, by next Monday to, to support his family, and, you know, but yet he kept Shabbos with a geshmak, he sang his and he, he enjoyed Shabbos so much, and we saw that, and it made a very big impression, but the biggest impression that it made on us was Erev Sukkis. Erev Sukkis, we were looking for nice sukkah, we were looking for something to decorate the sukkah with, and so we were going to you know, make our rings and put posters up and whatever they did back in those days before you know, everything became very commercialized. And we came into the sukkah and we found our father doing the nice sukkah all by himself. What was he decorating the sukkah with? the pink slips. He took each of those pink slips that he got throughout the year and he hung those up in his sukkah. That was his nice sukkah. That mysterious nefesh that he had for Shabbos, for Yom Tif, there was no more beautiful nice sukkah, no more beautiful adornment of the sukkah than that. You could put any double picture up, you could put any Yeratzin up, you could put any picture of, of people inspecting Esraigim that wouldn't touch the nice sukkah of those pink slips that were hanging on the When we saw that, we understood how beautiful Shabbos is, how beautiful Yantav is, how it was Kedai to be Meister Nefesh, how my father was so proud, that's his proudest thing, his proudest possession that he hung up in his sukkah where those pink slips, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an act of shame, it wasn't degradation, it wasn't, it wasn't something that he felt was uh, you know, something to, to throw in the garbage. This was his greatest accomplishment. And that's why each of his sons became the best Shemer Shabbos they could be. The best Shemer, Taira, Mitzvah, Halacha, Masmidim, Ga'inim, because of the inspiration that we got from our father. This is what Ramesha was talking about. If people would have had that mysterious Nefesh, plus the attitude of that it's Gishmak and it's Kedai to give up up work for Shabbos, that would be a different Dar that was created. But because they had this attitude that, yeah, we'll keep Shabbos, but it's difficult, it's a pain, it's not easy, it's very uncomfortable, it's with a great amount of hardship and burden, that really drove the next generation off in droves. I'll give you another great example of somebody that was successful in conveying this yisait of its kishmak to be a yid. There was a, a Yid who came over from Russia um, and he lived in the Lower East Side. The Lower East Side was really the place that all the Jewish immigrants came out, moved into in the early 1900s when they came to these shores. And if you see pictures, it was teeming with Jews. Like the streets were like with pushcart peddlers and uh, people selling pickles. And uh, Lower East Side is very, very famous for a lot of like the Jewish, a lot of the Jewish American stereotypes or, or 
pictures really are from the Lower East Side because that's where so much was happening. That's where you could still, today there's a tenement museum in the Lower East Side if you're ever interested in such history. Uh, you could go there and they show how the Jews used to live when they came in such poverty. Anyway, one of the Jews that came was a Talmud Chacham. His name was Rabbi Parnas. It's not related to Rabbi Parnas that used to be in Yeshiva, to my knowledge. And he came and he really was a tremendous mysterious nefesh for Shabbos, like we're talking about today. And he did it with a gishma. And again, like so many others, um, he gave up his job every Friday. He'd get fired, try to find a new job. And by him, it was very difficult. He was married. He had a bunch of kids, little kids. He was in an apartment. I think the rent back then was $5 a month. But he wasn't able to afford it because he couldn't, he barely put food on the table. He couldn't afford to pay the month's rent because he kept getting fired for Shabbos. And again, today you would probably have laws protecting this, but back then they didn't. And the boss, the, the landlord said, listen, you know, we love you, but you can't pay your rent, you're out of the street. It was in the middle of the winter on a snowy day, freezing cold day. And the Parnasses were evicted from their apartment in the Lower East Side, and they literally found themselves on the street. Rabbi Parnas, his Rebbitson, you know, five kids, maybe seven kids, I don't know how many kids he had, but like a whole bunch of kids. And they had no place to stay. They had no relatives, they had no place to move in. And the superintendent of the building, who was the one who evicted him, a guy, he said, he says, Rabbi Parnas, I, I have to do this because... My boss said it. I, you know, he said I have to kick you out. So I'm sorry I have to do that. But I can't see you standing here in the street without a home. He says, I'll do this for you. In the basement of the building, there is a coal room. That's where the, fur- the coal-burning furnaces for the- to heat the building were. He says, I'll put you and your family, I'll allow you to stay there for as long as you need until you get another job. And it's very uncomfortable down there. It's very dirty. It's full of soot from the, from the cold. But if you want to stay there, at least it's warm. And you have a roof over your head. And you're able to make enough money to feed your family. You should be able to get through um, you know, the week this way. So Rabbi Parnas you know, thanked him and he accepted. And he moved down his family into the, into the basement of that building. And these kids, the Parnas boys, were one day out in the street and they were playing ball with each other. And there was a very wealthy Jew. His name was Mr. Biston. And Mr. Biston was, uh, he was not a Shemr Shabbos anymore. And, you know, he, but he was a Jew that made it in America. He was very affluent, he had a big business. And Mr. Biston was walking by these, these kids. They looked like they were black kids because they were, you know, all full of soup. And they were playing ball and they were talking Yiddish to each other. So Mr. Biston just commented to nobody in particular. He just said, ah, only in America could there be black kids that speak Yiddish while they're playing ball. That, that was his line. You know, he thought that they were really, you know, African-American kids that were speaking Yiddish. He didn't understand it. So... And then he just continued walking. And one of the, one of the Parnas boys said, excuse me, sir, we're, we're not black, we're white, and we're Jewish, and, and that's why we're speaking Yiddish. So he said, well, I don't know if you have a mirror, but you're, you're black. So he said, this boy said, no, he says, the reason why we're black is because we live down in the basement of this building here, and we're very near the, the furnace and the coals. He says, well, why are you, if you're Jewish, you know, and you're a human being, why are you living down in squalor in that building? What's, what's going on with that? So the boy explained that, you know, his father is Meisen Nefesh for Shabbos. He keeps getting fired. And as a result of that, he I couldn't stay in the building, couldn't pay the rent, evicted the super, you know, out of his, the kindness of his heart, allowed us to stay in the basement. And that's why... Our clothes, our skin is full of this black suit from the coal. So Mr. Biston had a good heart, and he said, is your father home? He says, yeah. So they says, please bring him to me. So Rabbi Parnas comes out of the basement, and he gives Shalom Aleichem to Mr. Biston, and he says to him, um, 
he says, um, what's going on? Why are you in the basement? He says, well, my sinefe, Shabbos. He says, listen, he says, I can't see my brethren living in such abject poverty. I can't do it. He says, I'm going to give you $500 and you're going to buy an apartment to put your family into. That $500 back then, today $500, you know, you, you can't really buy much. But back then, $500, not only could you buy an apartment, you could buy a whole apartment building. That's how, much, that's how valuable $500 was in the early 1900s. So, you know, if it was me, if I was a partner, I'd say, wow, you know, I kiss the guy, take the money and, you know, whatever, you know, buy a nice house, building, whatever. Parnas asked Mr. Biston, he says, he says, first of all, thank you very, very much. It's a beautiful offer. I really appreciate it. He says, but are you Shema Shabbos yourself? He says, no. He says, I'm not. He says, in other words, the money that you're giving me has some degree of, of Philo Shabbos involved in its, in its earning. He says, yeah, I guess you would say that. He says, well... I'm going to check with my wife first, but I don't think I could take the money. He says, because my whole thing, the reason why I'm in this situation is because I'm so mocked on Shmir Shabbos. He says, if I take the money, what am I accomplishing? This is money that was, that was made on Shabbos. So it would be a little ironic if I'm, if I'm getting money that was made on Shabbos because of my act in the Sir for Shabbos. I'm, it doesn't make sense. But I, before I do that, I have to consult with my wife. He went and asked his wife. His wife said, a thousand percent. She said, this is what we live for. We live for Shabbos. We live for Yom Tif. We live for Mesir Snefesh, for Mitzvahs. We can't, we can't accept this money. So he goes back and very politely, again, thanks Mr. Biston, and says, I'm sorry that I can't take the money from you. And Mr. Biston was livid. A chutzpah, these crazy greenhorn Jews, they come... And they're, you know, they still think that Shabbos is so important. They're not willing even to take money that was made by somebody else on Shabbos. These guys are crazy. And he was like, smoke was coming out of his ears. And he's walking home, storms into the house in a huff and a puff. His wife asks him, you know, what's wrong? He tells her the whole story. And she says, I don't think those Jews are so crazy. What's so crazy about them? So well, I offered them $500 and they didn't take it. And she says, do you remember when we came to these shores, we were still Shemr Shabbos and we tried very hard to keep Shabbos. It didn't work. And that drove us away and we, we had to uh, start being Mechal Shabbos. And we always promised ourselves that, you know, once we made it, we would go back to keeping Shabbos, but we never did. They're the smart ones. We're the crazy ones. You go back to Rabbi Tarnas, and you tell him that you're going to keep Shabbos from now on, and beg him to take that money from you. So, Mr. Biston goes back to Rabbi Tarnas with his tail between his legs, and basically says, Rabbi Tarnas, I spoke to my wife, and she insists that we start keeping Shabbos, and now please take this money. So Rabbi Tarnas was very impressed, that they were committed now to keeping Shabbos. But he still was adamant. He says, okay, but at the end of the day, this $500 was still made by not keeping Shabbos. He says, you go back, now that you're going to be Shemesh Shabbos, go back and make another $500 this time, do it clean, and then I'll take the money from you. So, and this is what he did. He went back, he was Shemesh Shabbos, Mr. Biston. He made $500 clean money with actual Shabbos involved. And uh, he comes back then after he makes that new money, gives it to Rabbi Parnas. Rabbi Parnas is so appreciative. He buys a building in Borough Park and he opened up a shtibo. It was the first Hasidish shtibo in Borough Park. It was called the Parnas Shul. And uh, Rabbi Parnas lived on, a, uh, on, on, on one floor and uh, the shul was on one floor. And then there was a, um, and then the rest of the building he rented out to to tenants, and um, and that's how he made his parnasa. And guess who the biggest chassid of Rabbi Parnas was? 
the Bistons. They moved to Borough Park. Mr. Biston, Mrs. Biston, the whole family, they became like Hasidim of Rabbi Parnas. They became like very, very from family. Adayim, they're still a very Hashiva family. And that was the history of this, uh, of this story, of, 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 of being able to be Meiser Nefesh for Shabbos. Imagine doing that. Imagine not just giving up your job for Shabbos, but also being so midactic in Shabbos that you won't even take somebody else's money that was made without Shmir Shabbos at such... You know, you're, you have to understand what was going on. The, the, you know, practically speaking, you have a family to feed, you have a family to house, and here you have five dollars. Like, I give somebody $10 million today, and I, the person turns me down because it, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, mind-boggling, Shmir Shabbos. That's what Ramesha was talking about. The generations that continued and grew and prospered were the generations that didn't just keep Shabbos because they had to keep Shabbos, but they loved being Mesa Nefesh for Shabbos. They didn't, it didn't even feel like Mesir Nefesh because it was so beloved by them. It was so geschmack to be a Yid that they didn't want they didn't want anything but that. They didn't want to be in any which way It wasn't any sign even for them on a certain level. And if every Jew would have had that same aura around them of keeping Shabbos, because I love keeping Shabbos, the kids would have been, been would have caught the Shabbos bug and they would have also loved to keep Shabbos and loved to keep Yantif. But if you don't give that over, if you don't make it clear to your child that it's beloved to you, they're going to say, if, it's, if my parents don't like it, then why should I like it? And my parents, maybe they had some other reason to keep it. I don't want to keep it. You know, today you have a, a machla of, of you know, kids that are not staying on the derech. And again, you can't at all paint with a broad brush. There's Every kid has its own reason for doing so. But it might be, in many cases, and maybe I'm wrong, but it might be that they see their parents and they're not enjoying Shabbos. Or they're fighting on Shabbos. Or they're, you know, they're saying, okay, I'll keep Shabbos, but I really wish it wasn't Shabbos. Or Yantav is not a, a Gishmaka time. It's a time that you come home and complain that I'm missing so much work and I, you know, I can't watch what I, you know, I can't use my smartphone and I can't, uh, you know, maybe that's the, the, the message that the kids are getting that, you know, they're not enjoying it. They're not into it. So, you know, I don't need to be into it either. There's a cute story that's told about a little boy in Belgium who was at like a, uh, he was the Shabbos Abba for the week at, you know, at the, they made, you know, in kindergartens they make this little Shabbos, uh, fake Shabbos meal and there's a Shabbos Abba, Shabbos Ima and they're basically simulating Shabbos. They make Kiddush on, on grape juice and uh, um, whatever, mechule. So, so this kid Little boy, very cute kid, he basically sits down. He's the Shabbos Abba of the week. He has the crown that's the Shabbos Abba. He sits down, and before he makes Kiddush, he opens up his belt, and he says, Boy, was this a crazy week. Why is he saying that? Where did that come from? Because that's, that's the minute... You know, the, the parents are not, uh, Shabbos is not Kishmak. Shabbos is like, it's a time to like brood over how crazy the week was and, and what we're giving up for Shabbos and, you know, how it, that's basically what we're doing when we show our children that Shabbos is not Kishmak, the Yantav is not Kishmak, I'd rather be doing something else, but I have to, you know, I never, it's a three day Yantav, like three day Yantav became the biggest pejorative in Kuala Yisrael. You hear it's a three-day yantif. It's like people are like you know heading for the hills. Like what do we do? It's a three-day yantif. Three-day yantif should be in in theory. I'm not saying that I don't you know, but in theory, three 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 days consecutive days of kedusha of tara of isra malacha of of spending time in shul davening learning family time. It should be like the most amazing thing in the world. A three-day yantif, but for some reason Shabbos and Pesach became you know a horrible thing. Because even today, you don't have to go back to the early 1900s. Even today, the message that we are conveying to our children or to ourselves is that, you know, it's not Kishma.
in the Megillah, before this taina of Haman, of Esdase HaMelech Enam Eisen, that they're not keeping the laws of the king, they keep saying Shabbos Hayyim, Pesleim, they keep on telling us more and more Isra the way the opening salvo of this whole barrage of Lishnavisha of Haman was, was Yeshnai Am Echad. There is one nation. And Chazal pick up on this strange Lashon of Yeshnai. And they say that, you know, Yeshnai is from the root of Yashan, of, of, of being sleeping. Yashin. Yashin Tachas Ha'ilan. A person that is a yashen min hamitzvah, as I'll say, that's what Haman was tying. That that dar, that generation, they were keeping mitzvahs, but they were doing it with a lot of lethargicness, lethargy. They were not. They were not excited to do mitzvahs. They did mitzvahs. They blew the shayfer and they sat in a sukkah and they they got their lulav and essence, but they were doing it begrudgingly. They were doing it like yawning. Yeshna min hamitzvah. They were yeshening min hamitzvah. That was why Haman told Achashverosh this in order to say that they don't worry about their you know they're so from they're so holy that they're going to have divine protection because it's a different generation it's a generation that they said is we're not interested it's like it's it's old it's tired it's stale rather do a lot of other things rather go to the Mishta of Achashverosh that's exciting get invited to the royal palace and to drink whatever we want to eat whatever we want to live lavish lifestyles. That's what's exciting to us. We're not into doing Tyra mitzvahs. That's Yishenim. It's boring. And I think that Haman then, after he said that, went on to say, Who's the Melech? The Melech is the Melech Ma'achim Amlachim. The rule of thumb, the med- this is the Medrash. The Medrash says every time it says in the Megillah, Melech Tham, not Melech Achashverosh is talking about Malkish Alaylam. That's Dasayam Melech Einamaisim. They're not doing the Ravinish Shalom's laws. They're always saying Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach Hayyim. They're telling us that we have to go to work. We're not feeling it. They themselves don't want to keep Shabbos, really. They themselves don't want it. They'd rather be at work. They, 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 we see on their faces. They're going home, but they're going home begrudgingly. They're not, they're not happy to go home for Shabbos. They're doing it, but like the generation in America that Ramesh used to talk about, that they would say is that's the way it was back then. That was a great taina on Kal Yisrael. Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach Hayyim would be great if you were doing it with a Geshmach. But if it's with a Yeshenim and Amitzvah, that's the biggest most gravest sin that you could do. And that is perhaps the reason why you know why we were, we were deserving of killing off every man, woman, and child in Yisrael because HaKadosh Baruch was basically conveying to us this point that if you have this attitude that it's shver that your Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach Hayyim is boring, and that it's in Mesiris Nefesh, you'd rather not do it, you have to do it. You're not doing, you're not keeping Shabbos, you're not really keeping Yantif. You think you are, but that's not what I had in mind. And when your children see it, you're basically killing them off spiritually. So I'll kill you off altogether. You're basically, when you are saying Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach Hayyim, but you're doing it without a Gishmach, your children, your grandchildren spiritually are, are dying when they witness your attitude. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to send us a wake-up call on Purim that look at what the reason for the Gzair was. You want to see why bad stuff is happening? Look at what was the root cause. Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach Hayyim, Vanu Asurim, B'Malacha, we can't do work. You didn't do it with a Gishmach. When you don't do something with a geshmak, when you're keeping Shabbos and Pei, but you're not doing it with a geshmak, then it's basically genocide in its own way, a spiritual genocide. And that's what the millions of Jews in America that are not affiliated to Ramesha, it might be a result of that, that they weren't, they were keeping it the first generation, but they weren't doing it with all the geshmak. They were doing Yishenim and Mitzvah. It's not geshmak. I'm, 
I'm, I'm yawning while I'm keeping Shabbos. I'm opening up my belt and saying, you know, what a crazy week it was, and Mesir Snefesh, and it's hard. That's not what it's supposed to be like when you're at a table. Shabbos is supposed to be special, beautiful, holy, zmiris. And when it's not that way, you're basically sending very clear messages to the next generations that doesn't do anything for us. At the end of the Megillah, we end off with a famous pasuk, by Yehudim Haisa'ira, the Simcha, the Sasan Bikar. That the Jews, after the whole miracle happened, there was a sea change in the Jewish attitude. And the Jews had Ira, they had light, they had happiness, they had joy, they had honor. So the Gemara Darshans in Megillah, what these words mean. Ayra zu Taira. Simcha zu Yantif. Sasain zu Mila Yitar zu Tfilin. So basically, the way Rashi understands the Gemara is that the Jews, part of the Gezer of Haman was not to have Taira, not to allow Taira, not to allow, until the, until the day of destruction, of physical destruction. He also instituted that there are no more brismilas, can't keep Shabbos, Yamtif, Tfilin, all these things were strictly forbidden. But some of Farshim say a different shot. And they ask a very similar question. Why doesn't it just say, La Yehudim Haisa, Taira, Yantif, Mila, Tfilin? Why does it have to use these, these expressions of Sasin, Simcha, Aira? Why, why, why not just cut to the chase and tell us what we had back, the mitzvahs that we had back? So some of Farshim want to say that the truth is that we always kept those mitzvahs. Throughout the whole time of Haman, there was always Taira learned, there was always Shabbos, there was always Yantif, there was always Mila, there was always Tfilin. But you know what it was? We kept it, but we didn't keep it with the Ayra. We learned Taira, but Taira was boring. Taira was just another subject. There wasn't the holy light of, of Kedusha coming out of our Taira. We, we studied math, science, history, social studies, physics, and Taira. There was no difference between, there was no Ayra and Taira. Just like no one has Ayra when they study uh, Shakespeare, it's just you have to do it. It's like you know you have to you know eat your peas and carrots. You have to you have to study Shakespeare. Any, does anyone really enjoy sitting and studying Shakespeare? You have to do it. You have to get the get through it and, and you do it. That's how Tyra was. Tyra was like, okay, just take your Tyra. And they didn't have Ira. They kept Shabbos and Yantiv, but they didn't have. Simcha. It wasn't Kishmak to keep Shabbos and Yantav. It was, it was a very uh, not Kishmak a day. It was not happy. It was a day, it's Messiris Nefesh, it's Shvertazani, it's Messiris, uh, you know, I don't enjoy it. It's, you know, we're, we're sitting around the table, it's very expensive Yantav. I have to take off from work, I can't do what I want to do, I feel like very restricted. They didn't have the Simcha. They kept. Mila, but there was no joy in doing it. There was no sustenance. They kept film. They put film on, but it wasn't geschmack. There was no yikar. There was no feeling that this is an, an important thing that I'm doing. But after the Yeshua, after the Purkan of Purim, everything changed. All of a sudden, they did things, and they did things with a geschmack. Tyra was full of ira because they realized that they had so, so much gratitude to the Rabbani Shalom for getting their life back, for seeing these nisim, nistarim that took place, that Tyra had a new, a new composition, a new, a new appearance, a panim chadashus. Now, now Tyra was with an ayra. Shabbos and Yantiv was not as shvert as it was kishmak to be, it was with simcha. Sasen, the, the mila was sasendik now, and the and the tefillin were yikar. That was the difference before Purim and after Purim. The yeshenim and amitzvahs went away. They weren't doing mitzvahs anymore with a lethargy. They were doing mitzvahs with, 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 with a raging bren. That's what happened after the Purim miracle took place. And I think that's the lesson of our life. The lesson of our life, not just for our children and for our grandchildren, for us is that we're living in times that it's very difficult to muster simcha 
on Shabbos, on Yantif, when we learn Tyra, because there are so many competing, distracting things. We're so addicted to technology. The second Shabbos is over, before Abdullah is made, you know, people checking their smartphones, checking their email, checking their Twitter, checking their, you know, you can't live without it. And children see this. Children see that their parents are, are doing this, that they do this, and it's normal. And the message is that it's not Gishmak to be a Yid. It's something that we have to do. It's traditional, but it's not something that is Gishmak. Purim's legacy, one of the many legacies of Purim is to teach ourselves and our children how Gishmak Tayyar Mitzvahs are. There is no more Gishmak a day on the calendar, I think we can all agree, than Purim. Is there, is there any other yantif throughout the year that your kid is like mutchering you to buy a costume, you know, three months in advance? I don't do that because I know if I do that, then it's going to, you know, there's ten other costumes that will, you know, that he'll come up with before that, before Purim. I have to buy like as close to Arab as possible. Um, because otherwise, you know, but kids are excited, you know, you go shopping for Shalach Manis and you know, my son, my youngest eight-year-old, you know, he has a whole system of shalachmanis he has for his really good friends. He has VIP shalachmanis, he calls it. And, you know, he got shtadir things to put in that and the regular hamaynam shalachmanis. And, you know, they're busy. The kids are busy. They're, it's shmach. Adults are into it. Everybody's looking forward to Purim and the shack, the new shack. You know, it's, it's shmach. That's Purim. Purim is designed, to, the Rabbi Shalom designed Purim to be Gishmach. There was a reason. Everything was, was for a reason. The Mishnah, the Simchan on Purim, the Adwa Yada on Purim, the Mishleach Manis, that, you know, the, 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 the costumes, the singing, the dancing, the, the Mesibas, everything is done with the Gishmach to show ourselves and our children that Layamush Mizaram Ad that's what the, the Megillah says. That it will never Purim will never end from our children. Other Yam Taivim might in the Gemara there's a Yushami that of all the Yam Taivim in the future, you know, after Mashiach comes, we might not have uh, the Pesach that we know of today. We might not have Sukkis and Shvuas the way we know it today. But Purim, the Zikram Layasad Mizaram, we will always have Purim. That will never change. Why is Purim special? I think the pshat is because Purim is so gishmach and we convey that to our children that they, they're, they're never going to lose sight of Purim. Purim will always be there for them. Now if we would be able to make Shabbos the same way, if we could make a binyanab from Purim to all the other Yom Taivim, could you imagine how on fire we and our children would be outside Kaladayas? If Pesach was looked forward to as anxiously as Purim, but Pesach is like, you know, we have to clean the house or we have to, you know, get matzahs, it's so expensive, and the wine, and, you know, togetherness for eight days and going to Pesach programs and this and that. You know, it's, 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 it's a very expensive yantif and people don't go into it with a gishmah. The women get very, very tense about all the things, the preparation that needs to be done. The men get very tense from all the bills that are being spent and the, you know, and the kids are tense, you know, from their parents being tense. And so very often it doesn't have that gishmak. But Purim is supposed to be gishmak to show the simcha zu yantiv. Yantiv is simcha. Shabbos is simcha. It's aineg. It's, it's supposed to be a beautiful time. It's not supposed to be something to be dreaded. That's why the gezeira took place. Shai pai, Shabbos and Pesachayim. We were keeping Shabbos, but we, were, we weren't doing it with the gishmak. And the Jews got that. They understood the lesson so loud and clear. And that's why at the end of the, at the, end of the Megillah, we speak about the Sasan and the Simcha, the Aira, that was always, that always should have been there, but it was lacking. We got lethargic. We lost sight of what it should have been. Purim revitalized all of that. It cleaned it. It, it, it freshened it up. It, made it, it reminded us, Purim, that this is what a Yantav is really supposed to be. I'm just thinking now, it might be that that's why we use this pasuk by Havdalah of all times. Uh, it doesn't really, it's a funny thing to we put that in the, in the Nusach of the, of the Havdalah. But it could be that Havdalah is the time that you show your kids, you know, what, what's special. 
is Havdalah a time that you make a beautiful, you know, singing and, uh, you know, have, you know, a sad thing, a bittersweet parting from, from Shabbos. Nebuch, you have to go back, unfortunately, back to the work week, but we do it slowly and, and with a lot of, a lot of, you know, trepidation. We're homesick already for Shabbos. He did Nefesh, Avarachim, Meshachim. Do we feel that Shabbos, like, we want to stay with it? Or do we feel Shabbos is like a burden on us? We can't, you know, we do a three-second Havdalah and out with the smartphones. So we remind ourselves in Havdalah, maybe, like, We should have that renewal, that understanding of what Shabbos, what Yantif, what all the mitzvah satayra really should be in the perfect way. And when we have that, we will have that as well. We will have also the zichram liyasav mizam. Our children will be fine. We don't have to worry about our children, you know, chas v'shalom, veering off the derech. If they see that it's geshmak by us, if they look at us and say, this is a disaster. And Pesach is like a, it's like a, a terror. Sukkah, so you have to build the sukkah, buy minim, and here complaining about all the three-day amtaivim, too much yanta. I remember when I was a little kid, there was a neighbor that we had, and, uh, and she was walking, you know, we were walking to shul together, and this woman was walking, you know, she, she was coming out of her house, so we walked together with her. And I remember since I was a little kid, she said, this, you know, she was dra- talking about how much yanta is about to come. It was like an Elul, uh, not Elul, it was Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. And I just remember she's saying, like, it's too much yanta. It's too much yanta. And it made such an impact on my head, on a young head, to hear somebody saying, it's too much yantif, like, you know, you want to think that yantif is beautiful, and somebody has an attitude that there's too much yantif, that's a very, very traumatic thing for a child to hear. Children are very, very impressionable. They hear everything. They absorb everything. And if we see our parents, and they're not enjoying yantif, and they're dreading it, and they're doing everything but being happy on yantif, then that's a terrible thing for a child to have to witness. And it's not a pell if children are not, you know, enchanted with Yiddishkeit. Hopefully they go to the right yeshivas and they go to Eretz Yisrael and they get, you know, a new, a new, you know, a new geshmak and everything. But it's a real uphill battle. Purim teaches us, is Purim geshmak here? Yes, everybody will say that Purim is geshmak. If Purim is geshmak, you have to take the fire of Purim and light that to every yantiv and every Shabbos. Aira, Simcha, Sasan, Yakar, that's what Purim is supposed to remind us. That Tyra should be a Tyra Schaim, it should be Gishmak, palpable, alive, enjoyable, pleasant. And there was a big Rosh Hashiva, I'm not going to say who, but he didn't have such Hatzlacha with his children. Now it's one of the biggest Gedalim. Did not have Hatzlacha. He had um, he had a son and a daughter, and uh, his daughter was from his son was was Shemir Tyre but he was not you know not at all in the in the in the image of his father at all, and and but yet this Rosh Hashiva had a had a next door neighbor who was you know a regular. Uh, I'm sure he was a Tamachachim. He was like basically an administrator in the yeshiva that this that this gadol was the Rosh Hashiva of. And this Pashta Yid, relative, relatively Pashta Yid, he raised his sons to be each Ga'ine Tyre. And I know this because one of his sons uh, was my rabbi in, in Eretz Yisrael, in Kaltaira. A Gana Ga'ine. Mamish like probably perhaps the most brilliant guy today in the world. And this coming from a simple, and not just him, all of his brothers also, Rosh Shivas, in, in major issues throughout Eretz Yisrael. And they asked once this Rosh Shiva, why is it that you didn't have such a tzlacha, I don't know, I mean, you know, it's not a nice question to ask, but I don't know how this happened, but maybe he was just voluntarily talking. He said, I'll tell you why my children turned out, my child turned out the way he did, and my neighbor turned out the way they did. He says, because by my Shabbos Suda, I basically, you know, we made Kiddush, had gefilte fish, had, uh, you know, a piece of chicken, uh, you know, maybe a quick zemmer, 
Vartaira, and I rushed off after benching to my Rambam. Says my neighbor, says the whole night, the whole Friday night, hours on end, they were singing Zemiris one after another, harmonizing, beautiful, Gishmach. And they were saying Divrei Taira. And Mamish, their meal lasted for hours. There was Shalom Bayis. Everything was beautiful, picture-perfect Shabbos. He says, that's what infused those children with the Aira, with the, with the Simcha, with the Sasani Par, that created them into the G'dayle Taira that they were. He says, I didn't do that. I was mistaken. He admitted that he was mistaken. I didn't do that. That's what we have to learn. We have to learn to really try hard to make Shabbos and Yantiv beautiful. When we're in Yeshiva, the Shabbos Mitzvah Shem is an in Shabbos. We should make it very, very Gishmak, have beautiful Zmiras and Divrei Taira, and it's going to be Graman, it's going to be Gishmak. But everybody should be here. Everybody should not only be here physically, that too, of course, but they should be. Don't like, don't make, you know, different clicks, and you're, you're, you know, everyone should be singing Zmiras together. Make it Gishmak. The same money if you make Gishmak or not Gishmak. So make Gishmak. And when we get married, when we have a family, we should be making sure that our Shabbos, our Yantif, is something that we look forward to, that we talk about it with, like, you know, as, as other people talk about going to, to Disneyland and to Epcot, we should be talking about, well, Pesach is coming, Shavuos is coming, so it should be Gishmak. And I know somebody that works in, in Crown Heights. In Lubavitch's school. And this is something that Lubavitch is great at. And they, they're great at a lot of things. But something that they're really, really perfected is that they, they light a fire in their kids about Yantif, about Shabbos. So that every Yantif is like something extraordinary. And the kids are like really excitable about it. They're, they're excited about it. They're really looking, not just they're doing it, you know, they're, they're, they're like super, super excited about it. And like they dress up before Hanukkah and dreidels and this and that, and they're, you know, they're talking about it. They're, they're tumbling about it. It's real to them. That's, that, if we could do that, if we would be like that, we'd be amazing. If we'd be able to like borrow that from the Lubavitchers and like really turn our kids on. Obviously, every yeshiva in the world makes hamantashen and, and, you know, and Shabbos Sudas and, you know, and, and they do it, they, they go through the motions, but I don't really see the, the palpable excitement. I don't see it. Maybe it's there by other kids, maybe, maybe I don't know. But I don't feel it. But there are places in the world that they really excite the children with Kedusha Shabbos and, and the Simchas Yantir. And I think that's really what Purim is. We have it on Purim. Everybody has it on Purim. Now if we can only take Purim and apply that same lesson to all the other Yom Tavim and Shabbos of the year, that's the point of Purim. Because that's what got us into Purim, into the mess of Purim, was because of this kind of Shaitai. We turned it around and we made that the Simcha Zu Yantif, Shabbos Yantif, that's the Shmak now. We were saved because of that when we did Shuva. And by the way, like I said before, the tshuva process was the first day of Pesach. Was also betainus. The tshuva took place on Pesach. You know why? Probably because they had to do tshuva with something to do with Shabbos and Pesach. My word is right. Shabbos and Pesach. They fasted on Shabbos and fasted on Pesach. You know why? Because your Shabbos and Pesach needs a lot of work. It feels like a tainus every week, your Shabbos and your, your Pesach once a year. It's a tainus. Let's face it. It's not yantif. It's a tainus. Change that, and they changed that. They realized what they were doing wrong, and they were able to change and make Yantiv into a Simcha finally, and then we got Purim. This is, I, I think it's so essential to understanding how to create an Avir in your house. And this is something that when you're, you know, when you're a Bachar, it should start with. It should be, Shabbos should be Geshmak starting now. Yantiv should be something we look every Yantiv. Like it's something it's an Avaida, but like some places Yantiv is Gishmak, some places it's not. Some places you you know you don't feel Yantiv, some places you do. You go, let's say, to a Chaim Berlin, and uh, Yantiv is Mamish Yantiv. It's like it's real. It's not like Hashana Rabba. Who likes Hashana Rabba? Raise your hand. Okay. Really? 
Haishana Rabba is, Haishana Rabba is, it's like, uh, what time are you going to Minyan? I don't know, I don't, I don't want to be trapped in Shul for two hours, Haishana Rabba morning. I think I'm going to go to Ashkam, I think I'm going to go to, to the Nate's Minyan, they do it really quick, we do that coppers, you know, chick chak, there's no gridlock, there's no traffic jams on, on, you know, by that Minyan, by this Minyan, everyone's like Kalashim to get out of Shul, Haishana Rabba. Let's face it, can we admit that? No, not yet. What? Exactly. So, um, Chaim Berlin is the opposite. Chaim Berlin, there you have, it's packed, bumper to bumper, but they're there, like every Haishana takes like an hour, I don't know, an hour, maybe 40 minutes. It's literally like it's, and they're all saying Haishanas, each one with a geschmack. They get out of, they get out of Shul Haishana Rabba maybe 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. It's like a real life, it's like being in the base of Mikdash. They mean it. They feel it. Now, you know, we're not maybe, we couldn't do that maybe because we're not built for that or we, we weren't trained for that. So by us, we're looking to take shortcuts. But that's not the way it should be. It should be like Gishmat. Hashem Rabbah should be a beautiful, it's a Yom Kippur like. It's, it, Yom Kippur should be Gishmat. Roshana should be Gishmat. And hopefully it is by all of you. But if it's not, then that's something that we have to work on. And if you work on it now, then when you get married, you know, you can raise a family that feels that it's really geschmack because they see that it's geschmack by you. The most beautiful song, you know, was the, uh, you know, we'll sing in Mitzvah Hashem on Purim, but, uh, you know, I think in Eretz Yisrael was really, it was geschmack to be a Yid. It's a, it's a regular niggin, but they put it to the word the whole, I know there's more to it than just that, but that's the, the high part of the song um, is that it's geschmack to be a yid. And, and when you see like American Bakram singing that song and meaning it, I think the Rabbi Nishayim gets the ultimate nachas. When he sees that we really feel that it's geschmack to be a yid, that we don't want to be gayim, that maybe throughout the year, you know, we, we become a little like gayim because we're, we're blue tower technology, we're blue tower uh, to our sports, to our culture, to our music, whatever it is that we are attracted to. But sometimes your neshama is able to sing its true calling, and that is that it's geschmack to be a yid. And if we'd sing that every single day of the year, like we do on Purim, I think we, we, we'd be in a really good place. But we have to really ingrain it in ourselves now that it's geschmack to be a yid. It's not schwer to sein a yid. It's geschmack to be a yid. And Mitzvah Hashem, Purim is the first day that we feel it really, and then we could take Purim throughout the whole year. We're able to continue that that feeling, that emotional high of Purim, Shabbos Hayyim, Pesach Hayyim, every day be full of Kedusha, Tara, it's exciting, it's fun, it's it's enjoyable. And Mitzvah Hashem, when we do that, then we can will also be zarecha to all the iris of Tyra, all the simcha of Yantiv, all the hasiena Hashem lekenas birkas meadacha, all the brachas that are there in the mayadim that are there for our for our picking, will be able to be zarecha in that as well. Kain have a wonderful Shabbos and a freilich and Give me another week. Come